Hey, how's it going, everybody? This is Chris, and uh, I think I said this last episode, but uh, welcome to what might be the shortest episode of X Lapsed. I, I really mean it this time. <laughs> this is our uh, our landmark 25th episode where we're going to be talking about X-Men Volume 5, Number 3. Now, this is the only issue of X-Men that shipped in December 2019. Um, X-Men, for what I'm sure is an actual reason, was the only Dawn of X book not to double ship this month. So, in total, we've got 11 books to discuss for this go-around. Um, for, you know, cover date February 2020, ship date December 2019. And that's, uh, that's still about 44 bucks American on uh, just X-Books for a single month. Which is something I'll, for better or for worse, uh, probably be uh, keeping in the back of my mind as we work our way through them. Uh, that is notable for being ten dollars cheaper. We're down ten bucks from month one. Ten, uh, ten month one, we spent fifty-four dollars USD because we had those five-dollar books as well. Anyway, let's get right into X-Men Volume Five, Number Three. Of course, it had a February twenty twenty cover date, like well, the next ten books will. The story's called Horticulture, written by Jonathan Hickman with pencils by Lionel Francis Yu, inks by Jerry Allen Gillen and Lionel Yu, colors by Sonny Goh and Rain Barreto, letters VCs Clayton Cowles, designs Tom Muller, edits Beast Sawite Sobolski, $3.99, went on sale December 4th, 2019. Now we open in the Savage Land. And it's almost as though Hickman has made it like his personal challenge to make most of his stories take place in locations that I just can't stand <laughs> in, in hopes that maybe he'll be able to get me to come around. Um, now, the Savage Land isn't far removed from places like, you know, Deep Space and the far-flung future on my list of places in the Marvel Universe I couldn't give a rat's ass about. It makes me wonder what might be next. Maybe it'll be the Morlock Tunnels because I love that place. Anywho, we're here. And we see some young mutants rounding up some Krakoan fruit and flora. We see Pixie and Anol. Suddenly, a portal cracks open and a quartet of Stormtrooper-looking characters stomp on out. They approach the young mutants before blasting them with... Well, some sort of, like, crystalline goop. Uh, they're here because they love the S-word out of flowers. And uh, the S-word gimmick is uh, going to get pretty old pretty fast. Unless, of course, maybe we remove the hyphen, which changes S-word to just the word sword. Uh-oh. Nah, I'm just kidding. It probably doesn't mean anything. Let's meet our cast. We've got the White Queen, we've got Cyclops, Magneto, Marvel Girl, and the Black King, Sebastian Shaw. Who wants, pay who wants credits? Because we got pages of them, man. 
Uh, I think we're at a point now where we could probably fill two complete issues with nothing but these credit pages. And I probably shouldn't put that thought out in the universe because Marvel would probably release it as like a convention special. Even though we ain't doing conventions right now. Anyway, we resume comics in Krakoa and we're at an emergency meeting of the Quiet Council. Now, you might be wondering, are they here to talk about the attack on Krakoa? Are they here to talk, you know, to deal with the fallout of the assassination of Charles Xavier? Well, we'll find out soon enough. But first, Jean and Emma need a page and a half to be catty toward one another. Uh, It's worth noting, when Cyclops enters the scene, he comes up behind Jean and, like, places his hands on her arms in a very, like, concerned boyfriend sort of way. And it makes me want to ask you, you know, since I am X-lapsed, were there bits in the pre-Hoxpox uncanny run that had Scott and Jean, like, reconciling or officially together? Or, or am I just learning all of this along with everyone else at this point? I, I really don't know. Anyway, the Quiet Council takes their seats. Empty chairs include Xavier's and the Red Throne of the Hellfire Club, so perhaps Kitty's just away, or this takes place before the, prior, the, the coronation. Uh, Emma complains here that she has a splitting headache. And this takes us to an info page which discusses the fact that Krakoa is screaming. We learn that a Krakoan gate has been forcibly closed, and that's the one in the Savage Land. And this has thrown the island itself into a bit of disarray. Wildlife on the island is becoming aggressive, the island's overall mass is getting smaller incrementally, and all telepathic island dwellers are reporting increased levels of psychic assault and consumption. Because if we remember, Krakoa feeds off psychic energy, so it looks like it's pulling off quite the binge, and that's likely the cause of Ms. Frost's headache. Now, back in the Savage Land, our stormtroopers unmask, revealing themselves to be, well, four old biddies. Uh, and one of them is clearly modeled on Estelle Getty. I mean, it's, it's Sophia Petrillo, 100%. Uh, we get some jokes, I think they're jokes, about how one of them is hard of hearing and then mishears a lot of what everyone else is saying. So, oh, the hilarity. Um, And Estelle is the one who, uh, rather than cursing, says things like S-word, B-word, and D-word. This joke, if it is a joke, uh, plays itself out inside of one speech balloon. But it'll stick with us for the rest of the issue, whether we like it or not. Worse yet, it seems this manner of speaking is contagious to all of her teammates. Now, with the young mutants on ice, our group of grandmas decide it's time to start picking flowers. We rejoin Cyclops, who's being accompanied by the white and black royalty from the Hellfire Club, and uh, we see them arriving in the Australian Outback via a Krakoan gateway. You see, since the Savage Land Gate is jammed, they're going to need another way. Emma and Shaw are a bit incredulous, and they don't get why Cyclops has brought them here. Uh, as luck would have it, our old friend Gateway just happens to be hanging out right outside the Outback Krakoan Gate, swinging his little sling over his head. Which, uh, kind of begs the question, didn't we just see Gateway? It was just a couple episodes ago, Marauders number two. Uh, I mean, Gateway, I'm gonna assume, was summoned by Emma Frost to zap her team from Taiwan to London. Did Hickman not read that? Did, did I imagine it? Or does this story maybe come before that? I guess it really doesn't matter, does it? <laughs> We're just eating up time here. Um, In moments, our trio arrives in the Savage Land, where they see the Golden Girls picking flowers. They introduce themselves as Horticulture, which it's Horde, like the Horde that's invading Earth in Strikeforce Moratory, and Culture. I admit that's a pretty clever name. Clearly, it's a play off of Horticulture. Um, Shaw mishears it as Whore Culture, which is uh, probably something in a whole nother magazine. 
Now, one of the old ladies takes one look at Emma Frost and uh, decides to assert that she probably has some sort of vaginal issue. She is a uh, mouth gaped, and uh, Cyclops looks away, sure, stifles a laugh, and I'm guessing they probably both know the sting of that special shampoo. After closing her gaped maw, Emma tries a psychic scan, but is unable to get a read on any of the old broads. Sebastian Shaw decides he'll take the lead here and attempts to sweet-talk the octogenarians. And so he talks a lot. Uh, I think he mentions here that he's been with many women and men. Uh, I don't know if that's new information or not. Not that it really matters. Um, all this sweet talk gets him is zapped in the face with that crystalline goop. Uh, and the uh, old lady stomp him into the ground a little bit. After watching for perhaps a few seconds too long, Cyclops lets loose an optic blast to knock the Horticulturans off of Shaw. One of them claims that the blast caused her to... Break a hip. And so, Boy Scout Cyclops runs over to attend to her. Any, anybody want to guess what happens next? Anybody? Oh, boy. Oh, she's playing possum, and Cyclops gets a face full of the goop. Frost has finally had enough and demands that the old ladies share their secret origin story with them. For whatever reason, this works, and one of the old broads starts spilling it. Now, it turns out that the mutants and Krakoa are spoiling Horticulture's plans. They are, get this, radical botanists. Okay, this, this sort of falls under one of my main complaints about comedy in comic books. I, it was just last episode we talked a little bit about the Hox Pox Docs moments that made us laugh, right? I get the feeling we're supposed to be like busting a gut here, hearing a radical botanist, and like rushing off to our social media pages to edit our bios and profiles to include this wacky descriptor into our, uh, into our profiles. I feel like, this is a complaint I've made about several comics in the past, um, anytime you start a thought with, wouldn't it be funny if, dot dot dot, more often than not, that answer is going to be no. Funny is funny, this is not, but it really wants to be. Anyway, let's go back to their origin story. Now, they've worked for agrochemical and biotech companies for a combined two centuries, uh, these are companies whose primary goal was creating seedless slave plants. Now, I'm no scientist, but I think this is probably an allusion to the GMO debates, of which I really don't have a firm position. Um, I think I can see the good and the not-so-good, but engaging in actual debate over it falls way, way above my pay grade. So, uh, in the flashback, these not-yet-old ladies decided to kill their bosses and try to create their own horticulture seed. With it, they'll eventually be able to dictate and control the entire planet's food supply. And they'll be like the gatekeepers of it as well, deciding who eats, and conversely, who starves. They hope to return the world to its, quote, natural state. Naturally, the, co the coming of Krakoa threw a bit of a wrench into their plans, and so they dedicated themselves to hacking into what makes Krakoa tick. So they're here to collect samples with which they might make Krakoa work with them, or if not, they'll just pluck Krakoa out like a weed. The trio, you know, Shaw, Frost, and Cyclops, they, uh, look at this, they leave the old ladies behind and return to Krakoa for another emergency meeting of the Quiet Council. Frost reveals that they have a problem, and that's where we end it. But first, we get one final info page, and here we get the quick and dirty on horticulture. They are... Augusta Bromes, an agrochemist at 64 years old. Opal Vetiver, a bioengineer 68 years old. Lily Lamus, or Limus, 
a geneticist at 71 years old, and Edith Scutch, a botanical engineer, 81 years old. So they, they really found some good old na- old lady names, right? Uh, I think that's a... Uh, <laughs> I don't know. This is... Uh. Now, this group of horticulture here, they're based out of a mobile lab called the Green Thumb, which is currently situated in Sedona, Arizona. And that's a place I've actually been to a number of times. And uh, the only notable thing to me is that it has a... Uh, the McDonald's in Sedona has teal arches instead of yellow, or golden arches, I guess. As teal arches to to mix in with the uh, with the the decor up there. So uh, yeah, that, that's that's it. <laughs> that's the end of the issue. Uh, the next issue we'll be discussing is Marauders number three. But uh, let's talk about this. I don't have a whole lot to say because there really isn't much to say. Other than I was not a fan of this. I feel like you know this horticulture thing. I think that's a solid premise for a story. However, you know, playing our bad guys as comic relief doesn't do it any favors. It really pulls the oomph. It pulls me out of the story. It removes the oomph. Any urgency I might have felt was gone. Um, And I'm okay with goofy villains, but, you know, they have to have some substance. Not when they're only a joke, you know? Um, Think about the, you know, the Batroc complaints I made during Marauders, you know? I'm sure when Batroc was, uh, you know, first making his first appearances, he was a villain first and then a goof. Now it's like you lead with the goofiness, and uh, I just I just don't know. Um, these Golden Girls knockoffs, they just felt like a four-color meme, and maybe I'm just projecting. I do that a lot, um, because I do take issue with low-effort content, but this feels like something that was meant to kick off a bunch of memes and not a whole lot more. And again, I, I am totally open to the possibility that I'm projecting. I just... When I see things that look extremely low effort and low hanging, <laughs> that's how I feel. Really not a whole lot to talk about here. My least favorite issue of X-Men so far. Um, the art was nice, but uh, yeah, not much to this. And it's... We're not going to get another issue of this for, I think, at least 12 episodes. So, I mean, <laughs> I guess it's not that urgent, right? I don't know that we'll be getting references to uh, horticulture and the other Dawn of X books here, but we'll see. But yeah, this was a uh, yeah, this wasn't great. <laughs> I agree, disagree. Definitely, let me know. I, I would love to hear. But uh, speaking of which, let's hop into the mailbag here. Uh, we got a few letters to to uh, get through here. We got uh, two from Damien, then we got a couple more as well. First one from Damien is discussing Excalibur number two. He says, this episode, I mainly found myself laughing along at your reactions to my comments. My reactions sound much funnier in your hands. It's interesting to hear that you see Americans stereotyped as cowboys. I don't know if that's better than deciding an entire country is full of magic. I think that might be a wash, right? (laughs) That's definitely something funny to think about. And it reminds me of, uh, you know, being in high school. And I had a few friends who were, like, very, very much into anime. And I mean... Uh, there's anime that I dig. I re- there's anime that I love. And I'm also a huge fan of manga, so I'm not making fun of them for that. But they would talk about like making these pilgrimages to Japan because in their mind, they assumed the entire country revolved around anime. Like, everything was anime. And uh, so it's, just, it's a reminder that it's so easy to like distill cultures and countries down to some pretty specific bits and pieces if you really want to. It's a... Uh, Definitely, uh, definitely something to, uh, to to bat around the old brain. 
Uh, back to Damien, he says, Apocalypse remains interesting. He's a really great character to bring into an X-team, and as he always thinks, he's the good guy, so from his point of view, he's not changed. And I agree, Apocalypse is definitely the strongest piece of the Excalibur puzzle. It's uh, really, out of that second issue, I don't know that I enjoyed anything but the Apocalypse scene. You know, I, I was he, he is a very, very well-written character at this point. Uh, Damien continues, At some point, I will take your advice and work my way through your backlog. There's something great about how particular comics remind you of your own history. It's probably no surprise that different fans have different ideas of the characters based on when they discovered them. As they say, the golden age of comics is 12. And that was 1986 for him. Now, speaking of backlog and that golden age sweet spot of comics and pop culture hitting when you're around 12, uh, that's actually something we had a show about. Now, uh, the first episode of that was covering the year I turned 12. Uh, it's a show on the, uh, in the archives called Real Comics History. And uh, the one that we... Our first episode is actually episode 2 because it was released out of order. But uh, uh, Real Comics History episode 2 was a show that was predicated on examining what was in comics when somebody was 12. In this case, me. I was 12 in 1992. So that's that's where we started, and uh, the first episode talks about things like, it was 1992, so we talked about the Executioner song in X-Men. We talked about the death of Superman. We talked about the launch of Image Comics. We talked about comic book trading cards. We talked about a whole bunch of fun stuff, Wizard Magazine. I That's a project that I really wanted to continue, because I feel very, very strongly that our perceptions and... Uh, just our view of comics is informed so much by by when we were that age or there or thereabouts. Um, I keep thinking about every character that I see now. It's it's hard to shake that first impression, you know, of when I was twelve and when I saw these characters. And uh, yeah, maybe one day down the line, I'll, I'll get back to that sort of a show. But uh, I I really enjoyed those episodes that we did, and we lost the premise of when I was twelve because I mean we could only do that once with me. Um, but we did talk m- about more years, and we tried to evoke similar sort of feelings towards those years. But uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that's a lot of fun to talk to people and get like talking talking to Damien about when he was twelve in nineteen eighty six. What was what was going on then, right? What was uh, we had the, you know the crisis just ended, so we we were in the post crisis. Um, I, I think uh, Daredevil: Born Again was around then. We had Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen. You know, I mean, nineteen eighty six. I, I thought nineteen ninety two was a great year to be twelve. Nineteen eighty six might have been better. Ninja Turtles was hitting. I mean, that's yeah, that's that's a good year to be twelve. I tell you what. Um, but thank you for that, and we'll get to uh, Damien's next message right here. This is regarding Marauders number two. He says, You really don't like Batrock the Leaper, do you? I'm in that group that unironically loves lame villains. I'm not surprised Shaw employed, employed Batrock, as Shaw is also a lame villain. Hey, come on, come on, Shaw. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Now, the, the coolest thing about Shaw growing up is that he had a son named Shinobi. That was... <laughs> That was the coolest thing about Sebastian Shaw when I was uh, getting into comics. Uh, back to Damien, he says, Rereading along with you, I can see how Emma's behavior could come across as cruel. This is clearly a continuation of the storyline from the X-Men Black one-off, where they presented Emma and Shaw's past relationship as abusive, and Emma's reclaiming of the Hellfire Club as a victory. You should look it up as it's drawn by Chris Pachalo, who you clearly love. And, uh, 
that is the one X-Men Black issue I wasn't able to find when I was when I was just scooping these things up in a Black Friday sale last year. I found all the other ones, but I did not find the uh, the Emma Frost one. So I'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that. Uh, and yes, I love Chris Bocciolo. Uh I can't pronounce his name, but I love his work. And, uh, and maybe I am pronouncing his name right. I've never met the gentleman. Uh, one of my most treasured pieces of comics ephemera is something I found in a... Uh, uh, one of my comic shops nearby has a back room where it's... He, he describes everything back there as just, you know, trash. You know, stuff. And uh, he'll, uh, you know, he'll sometimes let me dig around back there because I am a... I'm a pack rat, for one, and I also just have this... Fascination with ephemera Um, And this piece of ephemera Was the DC Comics Vertigo Announcement brochure It's just like a folded piece of paper That has Vertigo written on it (laughs) And it it came out in late 1992 to announce the launch In uh, I believe Vertigo launched Cover dated January 1993 And uh, this brochure Was signed by Chris Pachalo So uh, that's one of my treasured pieces of ephemera That I have framed It's not hung yet because Hanging things on my wall is too big a commitment, but it is framed. <laughs> it's waiting for a time where maybe my wife will come in and hang it up because I I can't commit. But uh, that is one of my most treasured pieces um, of discovered ephemera. I, I've got a lot of weird stuff. Um, maybe I'll go into deep detail on some of my fun ephemera another time, but... Uh, Uh, Back to uh, Damien, he says, You immediately picked up on the first Jewish error I was referencing. There's another one coming, which I think you'll also guess. I suppose it could be argued that Kitty is reacting to the death of her father figure and therefore breaking her faith, but the fact that Bishop on panel references tattooing as a mark he was given in a prison camp would imply that it was due to her Jewish identity being forgotten by the creative team. My understanding is that the Jewish taboo of tattooing is down to the use of tattoos in the Holocaust. So I would expect that Kitty Shone memorializing her relatives who died in the Holocaust back in Uncanny X-Men number 199 to not get a tattoo. It was the first on-panel emotional reaction to Xavier's death, though, which is interesting. And you know what? I'm an idiot because I didn't even put that reference together. Um, I, I, I probably I probably came across like a horse's ass. I didn't I didn't put two and two together there. Um, and, I mean, we were, I mean, this is this is like anvil heavy here. Um, Bishop referencing, you know, that it wasn't his choice to get it, and all of Kitty's, uh, you know, relatives, uh, that's, that's heavy stuff there. And uh, that really puts a whole other um, layer on it. Um, very, you know, very, very heavy. Very, very heavy. Um, uh, Damien continues, I work retail and I've had stand-up comics practice on me because I'm a captive audience. So it turns out that despite my Excalibur key- feedback, Britain and America are not that different. <laughs> and, oh man, it's almost as bad as getting like Christmas carolers at your door, right? <laughs> it's just, you're stuck standing there waiting for them to uh, finish singing at you. It's just like when you have these uh, the stand- these wannabe stand-up comics who uh, are are joking at you. Uh, like when I was repairing the windshield and like when you're, when you're at work as well, uh, I, I mean, you're, <laughs> I've only had carolers come once. Um, 
and it's like the most awkward thing in the world. It's it's like almost akin to trespassing because it's that awkward. Uh, and I, and you won't find people who love Christmas more than I do. Maybe I mean everybody loves Christmas who who is you know into Christmas. Um, I was actually even considering a weekly. Because I have Chris's on Infinite Earths, and every year I do blog posts that I call Christmas on Infinite Earths. And I was actually considering doing a weekly Christmas on Infinite Earths podcast uh, all year long. So every week, talking about a Christmas comic book. Every week throughout the year. So 115 degrees outside, ah, screw it, we're talking about Christmas again. So eh, maybe I will. You never know. Uh, back to Damien, he says, They're heavily leaning into Pyro acting recklessly with the tattoo. I do like the idea that realizing that he was only resurrected because no one cared if it went wrong would affect him, but he's almost cartoonish. And that was my feeling, too. Um, It was very extreme, um, very unsubtle, very cartoonish. Uh, And Damien uh, continues, As you say, it's no surprise when Kitty becomes the Red Queen. There are surprises to come. I was particularly excited by the choice of the White Knight. And I'm looking forward to that. I I wonder if it'll be another Frost. I think... I might be misremembering, but I thought there was another Frost in, like, like the Jay Farber era Generation X. Um, so after Larry Hammett and the Pookas and crap. Um, probably like around issue 50-something. I think we met another Frost there. I wonder if it'll be, uh, if it'll be them. Um, he wraps up with looking forward to your next episode and, uh, I'm looking forward to your next email, your next message. Thank you so much, uh, for, uh, as always, for reaching out. Uh, I always enjoy uh, getting your messages and uh, and uh, responding to them. Uh, next, we got Dallas Gibson. He says, After Hoxpox, when I saw the characters in Fallen Angels, I immediately thought this book would center around resurrection. Psylocke with her identity history, I'm guessing a time-displaced cable, and Laura a clone. Will Professor X be playing Frankenstein? What nefarious and questionable ways will the resurrection process be implemented? Boy, I was way off. <laughs> So I went with what I was given, and at least it was only six issues. <laughs> Great job, as always. <laughs> Thank you, Dallas. I, I didn't know what to think when I saw Fallen Angels, especially with the uh, with the cover showing the cover, of the first issue showing us our our you know cast. I was not sure what to expect. Um, I knew I had a feeling it wasn't going to be like the '80s version, <laughs> which. Well, on the topic of the 80s version, I am talking to some people about doing the uh, Books Club on Fallen Angels. Um, should know more about that in the next few episodes. Uh, probably wouldn't be something that would actually, uh, you know, be, uh, like, uploaded until probably the end of October, beginning November, because I want everybody who wants to be a part of it to be able to be a part of it. But uh, we're ironing out details right now to see if we can get something rolling on that, uh, we usually work, uh, we usually collaborate in Google Docs, so if anybody's interested in talking about that 80s series uh, of, uh, of Fallen Angels, uh, reach out, let me know, we can, uh, we can get you access and we'll, uh, we'll have a good time sharing some thoughts, and uh, I will uh, put out an episode where, where we discuss it. So, you know, keep that in the back of your mind if, if that might be something interesting to you. But uh, thank you, Dallas, for, uh, for reaching out here, and uh, yes, at least this is only six issues, because... <laughs> <laughs> this, oof, uh, Fallen Angels number two was, uh, I don't want to say it wasn't good, but it wasn't good. Uh, finally, we have a message from our friend Al Sedano. 
He says, another issue read, an episode listened to, and only a few days after the last one instead of a week. Who knows, maybe I'll catch up with you sometime in the next year or three. Anyway, here are some thoughts on episode four, Powers of X, number two. First of all, I was also a bit confused about the beginning of the issue. I also thought that everything X-related had been published before now had still happened. All the characters act like it, but this makes it look like the entire timeline has changed. I'm not sure which is which now, and I'm not sure how I'll feel about it either. I would have been much happier if the caption for this scene just read, quote, a few months ago. And uh, you hit the nail on the head with what I struggled with getting through Hoxpox. And kind of where I still continue to struggle if I allow myself. Now, I've heard... I've heard from folks who assumed that post-Hoxpox, or I guess at-Hoxpox, we were like at a, t- a tabula rasa sort of reboot. You know, everything is brand new. I've talked to other people where everything is the same as it ever was. I've also talked to some people who uh, stated that everything actually happened, but maybe not in the same moral lifestyle life cycle. Right now... I'm just trying to accept that everything happened in this 10th moral life, just so I can, like, get over it. <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting a little bit more secure. You know, my footing is getting more firm, but I, I'd be lying if I, uh, if I said I wasn't looking up to see if shoes were dropping every now and again. So, uh, I'm trying. <laughs> Baby steps. Uh, back to Al. He says... Also, while I'm fine with the info pages, as I said before, I have to agree that two pages of credits is too much. Maybe for the first issues, but not issue two onward. And you ain't seen nothing yet, my friend. They're coming. They're going to still be coming. I, I, while I haven't read you know, the books that just came out this month, I have entered them into my Excel spreadsheet, which you know, I, I do grab the credits, and I do, you know, I'll put the, the issue title and the writer and the artist... And uh, I'll grab the you know the cover date from the Indicia. So yeah, even the books that I just got in my uh, in my DCBS package a couple weeks ago, it's two pages, two pages of credits. Uh, back to Al. He says, unlike you, I like the idea of the world mind. It sounds like they're taking the concept from the Nova series. Between that and the comparisons to the Kree Supreme Intelligence, it seems to me like Hickman is trying to tie the X-Men firmly into the Marvel Universe instead of leaving them in their own little corner like a lot of writers tend to do. The thing about me is that I came in with the X-Men in their own corner, you know? And uh, we just talked about, you know, everything being great when you're 12. You know, everything is the, at, at its finest and most pure when you're, you're, when you're 12 years old. And... Uh, that's kind of how I like them. I like the X-Men being kind of on their own. That's not to say I don't like them crossing over into the Marvel Universe, but I like it when the crossovers are special. You know, we, we've had, like, the past couple of volumes of Uncanny, and I can't believe I'm saying the past couple of volumes of Uncanny, have almost been Avengers and S.H.I.E.L.D. guest-starring the X-Men. And uh, that's not the X-Men I want to read. If you want to have Captain America show up, Make it special. If you want to have Maria friggin' Hill of S.H.I.E.L.D. show up, make it special. Don't just make it the next issue. Um, I mean, more about the Avengers. I hated Wolverine joining the Avengers. I hated Beast going back to the Avengers. I hated Storm joining the Avengers. Um, I hated Storm joining the Fantastic Four. I didn't like young Cyclops on the Champions. Uh, that just didn't feel right to me. Um, I, I mean, we're... We, we, we would never 
the Scarlet Witch in the X-Men, you know? She's a mutant, or was a mutant. I don't know if she's back is to being a mutant, but uh, they wouldn't they wouldn't put her in the X-Men, but we can but we can put all the X-Men in the Avengers. It's I, I don't know. Like I said, I, I was the one guy at my comic shop to get the I'm with the X-Men pin when AVX hit, so maybe it's just my own sour grapes. Uh, back to Al's message. He says, Okay, the Legion of Superheroes is pointless. I'm normally okay with allowing others to be wrong, but now I have to find some reason to podcast about an issue of Legion and to have you on. Either to convert you or just torture you. I'm not sure which yet. <laughs> and uh, you're, uh, you're in, I, I, would, I will gladly take your invitation, for sure. Uh, for starters. And, uh, I mean, right now, I'm just living life how DC Comics trained me to live it. I didn't. I mean, I didn't just imagine a six-year span with no Legion books, right? I mean, DC has treated them like they don't matter for more or less my entire fandom career. You know, I remember Keith Giffen blowing up the Earth in an issue of Legion just to see if his editors noticed, and they didn't. <laughs> you know. Now that said, I'll be fair here. There are some issues of Legion that I read as a one-off for the Chris Zanifinetters blog. And when they're character-based, I will concede that they can be very good. Um, I think I was at Legion 306 with Starman or Starboy on the cover. I, I thought that was a fine issue. I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, when they are character-based, I could be all about it. Uh, and actually, you know, on that subject, a few years ago, I was actually all set to put out a show uh, on this channel called Learn Me the Legion. And uh, the point of that was going to be, I was going to be teamed with a long-tenured fan of the Legion of Superheroes, and they would teach me what was so special about them. Because I, I really, I ha- for some reason, I own about 400 issues of Legion of Superheroes. I think I've read about six of them. <laughs> I'm an idiot. I'm a pack rat. But uh, I want to know what's special about them. Because... You know, I have so many of them, I might as well enjoy them. I would love to know what's so special about the Legion. I would like to finally learn and get the Legion. So, unfortunately, that show fell through, though. If anyone listening would like to you know, learn me the Legion, uh, please reach out, because I'm I'm still down for that project. Uh, Al, if, if you're out there, let me know. Uh, but Al wraps up his message with That's all for now. On to episode 5 and Powers of X number 3. So, thank you so much for reaching out, Al. I'm I'm very happy that you're following along and that you're uh, that you're reaching out. I, I it's funny. I, I I'm in a weird position now where I'm less X lapsed than somebody, <laughs> which is weird. Um, so the things that Al's learning here, I get to see these from the other side now. You know, where I was coming into this making these like wild predictions, like maybe it's Mister Sinister under the Cerebro helmet. You know, these silly. Well, maybe not silly, but these sort of outlandish predictions, hot takes I was making. And the folks who were listening, who already knew the answers, were kind enough not to spoil me on it. And I know if Al's listening as he's reading, he's not getting to these episodes for a little while, so I don't have to worry about spoiling them. And, I mean, we, we've, we've kind of gone through the whole story as it is, so all he would have to do is listen, and it would be so spoiled. But it's so interesting to me to start getting the hot takes from someone who's just starting. Because, uh, not that I know so much more, but I get to compare his experience to my own. I, I think that's a lot of fun. So thank you for uh, for reaching out, Al. That, that means a whole lot to me. 
that uh, that you are following along and you're engaging. So, with that said, if anybody else would like to reach out and engage, you could do so at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find the show notes and all the good stuff at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com, all the XLAP stuff at XLAPS.Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. Audio archives are at ChrisAndReggie.Podbean.com. You can find this show, Moratory Mondays, which we got some bangers coming up, big time. Uh, I'm also in talks to maybe do a maze agency show from uh, Comico and uh, whatever other company they went to after Comico. Um, got some stuff cooking. Got some stuff cooking. Maybe Christmas on Infinite Earths. Well, maybe we'll kick that off too. I don't know. I'm I'm kind of a fool with my time and uh, and uh, eyes bigger than belly when it comes to projects. I, I, there's a lot of stuff I want to talk about and a lot of things that I want to have reasons to read. Or reread, so we'll see how it goes. But I think that's where I'll leave it for today. Uh, once again, a huge thank you for everyone listening to this milestone twenty-fifth episode. Here's to uh, here's to a bunch more, right? <laughs> but till next time, as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya.